Welcome to the Learning Shared podcast. So Learning Shared is a space for anyone with an interest in supporting the needs of vulnerable learners in our society, including those with special educational needs and disabilities. We'll be hearing from and talking with a wide range of colleagues and stakeholders, including teachers, specialist practitioners, school leaders, researchers, as well as parents and carers. They'll be sharing creative, inspiring ideas, effective practice and things they've learned along their journey. With that in mind, please get in touch if you'd like to suggest a topic for a future episode or if you'd like to be involved in any way. You can visit us at www.learningshared.org or tweet us at underscore learning shared. The Learning Shared podcast is brought to you by Evidence for Learning and the EFL Send community. This is a growing community of teachers, practitioners, school leaders, researchers and academics that support children, young people and adults with special educational needs and disabilities, or indeed any form of additional learning needs. You can find out more about the EFL Send community and Evidence for Learning at www.evidenceforlearning.net. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome everyone to the next in the podcast series, Learning Shared from Evidence for Learning. Today's podcast is focusing on engagement. It is a companion piece to the podcast that you will also find on the Evidence for Learning website. Uh, Everything you need to know about engagement, a podcast that I've recorded with my colleague, Beth Coble, which is trying to take a broader view of engagement, a broader view that is than the statutory summative assessment um, that will be coming into force from September 2021 to show everyone that there is a deep pedagogical background, there is a clear research and evidence base to engagement, why it has merits for using with children with a range of needs, not just special educational needs, but really for any child who you would call a disengaged learner in whatever setting in our education system. Um, That podcast, as I say, is readily available, and I would suggest anyone that's not listened to it, listens to it before they, they engage in this podcast, because in this podcast, we're going to be today interviewing uh, six practitioners, all of whom have a perspective on uh, the, the whole thing of engagement. How do we engage our children meaningfully in learning in our schools? The first part of this podcast today is actually looking at the original podcast, Everything You Need to Know About Engagement. Each of our participants has been sent that podcast in advance asked to review it, and they have chosen the slide from that podcast, from the PowerPoint presentation that accompanies the audio podcast, and they've chosen the slide that speaks powerfully to them at this point in time in their practice. So to begin our contributions today, it's my very great pleasure to welcome Vegeta Patel, the principal of Swiss Cottage School and Research Centre 
in London. Fujita, hello. Good morning, Barry. How are you? Good, thank you. Good to see you. So, what was your choice, Fujita? Uh, it was a. I must start by saying, uh, being able to have an hour to immerse in your entire podcast uh, really was quite a powerful space. Uh, to think about this reflective journey we've all had during this uh, year of the pandemic. Um, so the slide that really resonated for me is the one that is titled, Without Engagement, There Is No. And then it gives five uh, really important bullet points. Uh, deep learning, there is no effective teaching. Without engagement, there is no meaningful outcome. There is no real attainment. And without engagement, there is no quality progress. And um, the reason that it hit me is because I felt at the heart of this was this consideration around school improvement and really what is sitting with our school provisions and that design. Uh, when I think about our system, it's an accountability system. And the backdrop of that is such a linear model for progress. And uh, the efforts that are relentless from you and other um, system leaders has brought into schools this option of uh, this sort of concept of assessment without levels, uh, giving schools the space to have conviction on what we want to do to ensure the true progress of our pupils is captured. Um, this slide for me, certainly in this moment in your podcast, I felt was quite pivotal because when I take a step back and I think about um, that concept of the linear model, I feel it's there uh, originally in our accountability system and still threads sit there, uh, but not just for pupil progress, but actually when I think about uh, the professional development of staff, career progression, uh, this sort of construct that there is a hierarchy that sits within our system. Um, so what resonated for me is your sort of concept of engagement in the broadest sense. And uh, it's something that we've tried to really uh, sort of mobilize here at our school um, into our ecosystem. And I feel the most powerful part of it is that the five areas are not a hierarchy. So actually what is sitting for us as school leaders, uh, teachers, practitioners, is the scope to really think about how we can scaffold not only that form formative assessment model into the summative, uh, so that we're really able to think about that holistic progress piece for the pupils, the way that we're able to work with families to think about, okay, if we are not um, viewing progress in the way that families may seek it, do they have knowledge of those five areas because it allows them to really think more 360 around what do we want to do, what do we want to put into place together. But for me, um, alongside all of that, I think quite crucially is this sense about systematic school improvement. What sits with the five areas is very much um, all of the scaffolds necessary for us to really think about every element within our school's uh, systems and processes. When we think about curriculum, then we're thinking about pedagogy and we're thinking about that process of capturing that progress um, sort of uh, journey, if that's a way to say it. And I feel this slide for me in this moment in the podcast was quite pivotal because what it does is bring us back to there's the assessment piece and that engagement and learning from the pupil perspective. But uh, very fundamentally, when we think about teachers and we think about practitioners, 
they have been in a system that is very judgmental. It is one that has given criteria that are quite rigid about whether practice is good or outstanding. Um, it's about whether you've had the right years of experience to have in-depth knowledge or expertise. But actually, the engagement profile sitting as a scaffold for those lesson observations, those learning walks, that peer-to-peer -peer observation, is suddenly giving ownership over to the teachers and the practitioners to move from that uh, sort of quite crude performance of teaching to reflections on the process of learning. And when we're shifting that in our schools so that it's about that reflective discussion and that professional dialogue and inquiry, we're removing a lot of the sort of archaic models of control. This is how this is done in a school for school improvement. And we're setting ourselves up for a much more sort of exciting, innovative, richer picture around what does quality progress uh, sort of look like, but what are the ingredients that have led to that? And um, for me, I think quite importantly is when you think about engagement in the broadest sense, what's fantastic is that, yes, it's already having a powerful impact as far as formative assessment. Uh, the way that actually teaching assistants and practitioners are part of that reflective process, they're not the recipient of assessment outcomes. Actually, they're sitting at the heart of that reflection. Um, but quite crucially, if we're able to move this into the classroom provision and the way that teachers are empowered and practitioners are empowered on that reflective piece as well, across the five areas, more broadly across the original seven, um, what we have is something that is not a hierarchy. So it is equipping them with seven components to really reflect on what practice is. And then what we've got, which I think is a fantastic flip of the narrative, is actually provision design is coming from classroom level. So we no longer have to view school improvement as something that is top down. We are putting in scaffolds into place that actually are always going to strengthen this concept of deep learning, not just for the pupils, but for the teachers and practitioners themselves. And they're investing so much in this relationship with the pupils and their parents that actually the greater sort of confidence they have on taking those risks of moving away from success criteria over to exploration around the five and seven areas of engagement, they're equipping ownership and that risk with the families themselves and the pupils so that it's not about a validated judgment of what those next steps are. Actually, that advocacy many of our parents have to carry for their pupils is something they're equipped with. Um, and for pupils themselves, instead of it being about the gaps I may have or what I have not achieved, suddenly they're really able to think about, well, what is it that I will do that helps me persevere in this process of learning because I'm finding something challenging. And I feel with this slide, you've really helped us have the conviction and thinking about engagement in that broadest sense, uh, because then we're really shaping the narrative about that accountability system also. Thank you so much, Virginia, for that holistic perspective you've taken there. I love your image of scaffold. Uh, and in and the, the building process of of scaffolding that construction that co-construction, and how you've brought in the parents, uh, 
as ever, you mentioned your teaching assistants. You never forget them. Um, all of those important, really important people and the contribution they can make. That was very powerful, and, and thank you. We look forward to talking to you later in this podcast. I'm going to move now to our second uh, contributor, who's Cheryl Gorn, from the Talbot Specialist School and from the Fusion Teaching School Alliance. Welcome, Cheryl. Good morning, Barry. Tell us about your choice and, and why and its contribution. So the slide that really hit home with me was the, uh, the slide around the mainstream profile um, and the Rochford version. And it was highlighting the areas of how children within mainstream settings that don't have, that you, that you alluded to before, that don't necessarily have those identified needs but are really struggling um, due to the, the pandemic and returning to school and they've been disengaged with their learning. But now we're trying our hardest as practitioners and as, as whole school, uh, all our colleagues are trying as hardest to re-engage them. And I think by using the engagement model areas, I think that um, and having a definite understanding from, our, from a mainstream perspective, we, it allows us to, um, to broaden our range of care, I suppose, uh, from a specialist point of view and, um, and work together with our mainstream practitioners to allow that sharing of expertise and allow them to understand that actually they do do a fantastic job. We are all in this together. We need to learn from each other. And I, I personally, I feel very privileged to be able to work with mainstream schools and um, from a specialist setting particularly and help them to understand how the engagement model and its principles behind the five areas of engagement can be applied with their learners that are not necessarily working at the engagement model level. So that is why it resonated with me. <laughs> um, so when I've been invited to work with uh, mainstream colleagues, um, I always try to start with explaining about what the five areas are. So we've got that exploration, that realisation, the anticipation, persistence and initiation. And um, I try to use those key questions, those key vocab, those buzzwords to allow them to explore that actually all learners do display these types of learning and we, it's, we've got the power, we've got to be able to empower people to be able to see these and to be able to observe these and understand what this means to that child as an individual. And this is why when I go into schools, I always say, right, we need to look at how we baseline those young people. What is active engagement? What, what, how do we know that they are really and truly engaging in their learning let's have a look at what it means for them to be motivated to want to um to want to participate and initiate those uh initiate those activities that we're providing them with and how do we know what does active engagement look like and from this we can then incorporate this into our planning into our systems into our curriculum and understand that how we can use that uh, to, to engage them in our lessons. Um, and I think that um, a lot of our young people with SEND have come back to school and they are quite happy. They're happily coming back to school to be glad of a routine. But when I've worked with uh, colleagues from uh, mainstream settings, we're trying, to, we're trying to identify those young children that are coming back to us who previously didn't 
didn't present with additional needs, but actually now they are presenting with needs, uh, additional needs. And this can be from, uh, from a, an effect from the pandemic, really. And they are becoming disengaged with their learning. They've kind of, we've got to re-engage them back into the way of school life, back into the way of family life and being an active participant in their education. And I think for me, Barry, when you were, you frequently referred to that pandemic that was leading to children becoming disengaged with school and their friends and their family. Um, and for me, those five areas of engagement allows us to flip that disengagement to re-engage in our children, to allow them to believe in that self-worth again. Um, and finding out what really, really, what, what motivates them to want to be in school um, and what motivates us as colleagues to want them to come in and, and be immersed in their learning. Um, so really, that's, that's why um, I feel that the, uh, the mainstream pro profile is so important to our colleagues. Um, and I suppose when we use the five areas to observe and record the activities, um, that we can show that child that, that, that's fully engaged and then they're really enjoying what they're doing and they're being immersed, fully immersed in what they're doing. It's, it's important for us to capture that and to learn from that, to then feed into what we do as practitioners next. So it's not just about the teachers, it's not just about the TAs, it's about us as a whole school community, really. It's not what happens in the classroom, that, well, it is what's happening in the classroom, but how do we make sure that that is wider in the community? How does that expand from school and how does it go into the family life? How does it go into the community? It's that what we're trying to um trying to create as a, as a whole school community. Um, and I suppose that when we know what motivates and captures, re-engages that young person, this is our backbone to our planning and our teaching and learning. And as teachers, we need to ensure that we, we are including those opportunities and those activities in our lessons um, and, and wider throughout the school so that the children are ready to engage and that, and that engaging is meaningful and, and, and with a purpose as well. Um, and I think it, from my point of view, what I always say to when I'm working in both when any setting really is you have to know that child really, really well. And this is so that you can ensure that successful engagement is taking place. And it's up to schools to understand that they need to have those right people in place in order to carry out those observations because it's no good having someone come in that doesn't know that child, because actually, how do they know that, that what successful engagement is? What does it look like? We need to know that young person. Um, and then how we then use these observations, those profiles to weave into our planning and personalising that learning for our young person. Um, and we refer to that pedagogy triangle, that differentiation, that personalisation, and engagement and by combining all those together this is how we need to have that blended pedagogy to ensure that that child that those children are active participants in their education and I suppose the more time that we spend observing a child and gathering those evidence using those profiles it shows us how they are engaging and deepening our understanding of why and how and what motivates them in a variety of situations um, and how it's possible to feed this into developing our curriculums, um, those, those informal, those semi-formal and formal curriculum, where they, uh, where the fluidity could be, 
uh, for that young person and what they're working towards as a, uh, from, from their point of view, what is their best uh, outcome for them and what are their needs and how we can meet them. And I suppose in a mainstream setting, this is uh, the main pro the profile could be for those children with more complex uh, needs that are engaging in those informal curriculum areas, but also for those children that are disengaged in their learning, the principles, the underlying principles of the engagement model can really be applied as they need to assess, uh, so for example, a semi-formal curriculum to help re-engage that child and then move to a more formal curriculum when the time is actually right uh, for them. And that's what we spend a lot of time doing. It's looking at in the mainstream with mainstream colleagues at the moment. Um, and some of those some of those children that we've worked with um, using that engagement model with the colleagues, um, it, it, it's provided them, I suppose, like a bit what Vegeta was saying around um, looking at being reflective practitioners, but as a whole school as well. How can we provide a variety of activities and stimulus um, for that, what motivates them to engage them? And by doing this, we're able to identify those different ways, those different interventions, those strategies, uh, the particular areas that give them confidence and lowers those anxiety levels and creates that social emotional stability um, so that they can enjoy their learning and have that positive impact on their mental health, both in school and outside. Um, and I would say that we need to try really hard to ensure that our children are at the very centre, at the heart of our learning. And it is the learning, it's their learning. And this is what the engagement model is all about and how it does so well for us. Thank you so much. You gave us a lot of insight there into the mainstream perspective and, and the potential, not just the potential application, but the actual application in, in the mainstream setting. Because one of the points Bev and I have tried to make in the um, podcast that's influenced today's work is that this is about children not engaged in subject-specific learning. And we need to get a grip with that phrase that's from the Rochford Review that is going forward in the DF, DFE policies. Um, it's more than those children that were P1 to 4. It's children not engaged in subject-specific learning. And what you did very successfully there was to get to the principles of engagement, its ethos, its values. I loved your mention of self-worth and, and of children's self-esteem and mental health. And how engagement can treasure even the tiniest jot of engagement in learning and actually reflect it back to the child and help the child appreciate their success and rebuild their self-efficacy, their self-belief in, in themselves as an, a, an effective learner through, again, what you call active engagement, which we would call authentic engagement. Absolutely. Thank you so much. We're going now to uh, Victoria Wells, Vicky Wells, who is a national manager with the Youth Sports Trust. It's really good to have someone from one of our national uh, organisations beginning to take a focus on uh, engagement, perhaps in a wider way, and how it can make a contribution. Welcome, Vicky. Oh, thank you very much, Barry. Thanks for having me uh, this morning. Um, and for listeners, perhaps, who are not familiar with Youth Sport Trust and their work, we are a charity that very much looks at improving the education and development for every child through sport and, importantly, play. Um, and I'm approaching this both within that professional role, but also as a, a chair of governors and a trustee on a multi-academy trust in Worcestershire, um, because this slide in particular I'm going to reference has, has really resonated with me with a number of, I guess, the hats that 
that I wear when we talk about engagement. Um, the slide that, that I've chosen that resonated most from the previous podcast is a, a slide with a quote on. And for, for listeners, just to share with you the quote that I have selected, um, a quote from Professor Barry Carpenter that looks at sustainable learning can only occur when there is meaningful engagement. The process is a journey that connects the child and the person to their environment, including people, ideas, materials and concepts to enable both learning and achievement. And I've chosen this slide because, first of all, I love a quote. I think often a quote can be the heart of a compelling piece. It can help really tell the story, tell the narrative. And I believe that the words within this quote are crafted exceptionally well that leave a lasting, a lasting impact, really. Um, and it, res it resonates for, for two main reasons for me. The first is really honing in on that word meaningful engagement. And what do we really um, mean when we, we think about our engagement and actually ensure that it's meaningful? A lot of the work that I'm certainly involved in, I have the privilege of engaging and working collaboratively across the sector with a whole range of schools and young people. And I'm a passionate advocate for inclusive youth voice. Our young people share with us that um, when we are looking at our offers and our activities, both within the classroom, within a sports setting, they want it to be inspiring. They want it to be something that they want to take part in. They want it to be accessible. So if they're inspired to take part, they want to feel they can take part in a way that is most suitable and convenient for them. And ultimately, they want it to be meaningful. They want it to be something that they can benefit from. And I think for me, this quote really resonated both from, from hearing the, the stories from young people when we, we talk and explore what we mean by the word meaningful, but also then ensuring it's meaningful on behalf of the practitioner and the teacher within, within a school, but also for the family and the parent and carer as well. The second reason why this quote resonates in particular for me is then that the, the, the second aspect where it looks at the journey. So actually recognising this is something that, that we're all collectively on in terms of what does that journey look like for that child and young person, both in their educational journey, but equipping them with the skills that then when they leave that particular education setting, they have those skills they can apply in life as well. Um, and then it also talks about the environment. And I think now more than ever, that is one that has particularly resonated, I'm sure, not only with me, but fellow practitioners and listeners, because since the COVID-19 pandemic, our environment has changed for all. And I loved what, what Cheryl said around it's all young people that potentially have come back with um, an additional need that they didn't have before the pandemic. You know, we've had children and young people who've thrived in environments um, since school had, had closed. They've thrived in, a, in being able to self-pace, self-regulate within their own home environment. We've also had children and people that have thrived in environments that have looked very different to what they were used to previously, smaller class sizes perhaps. But we've also had children who found this particular time very, very difficult and very challenging because of the changes in the dynamic and the environment that they've been um, exposed to. School hasn't necessarily looked and felt like school. So again, for me, this started really resonate in terms of being very timely as we consider meaningful engagement. And then when we look at the word, you know, materials and concepts that really help with that meaningful engagement, the quote really resonated because it also inspired some um, wonderful examples of practice that schools have been adapt and been able to respond to during the pandemic. 
there's some wonderful stories of a, an amazing special school in Merseyside that right at the start of the pandemic equipped their young people, I think it was around 80 families, with a sensory kit bag that had equipment and ideas in to help support young people's meaningful engagement, both within home and also then attending schools. And this quote just, you know, for me, inspired so much school-centred innovation that has had to take place, that has happened exceptionally well during this time, as well as really considering some of the, the areas where we all need to ensure that we, we are looking at this as our children and young people begin to return to us at school or return to a changing dynamic within that classroom environment. Um, I've certainly seen it from my own personal experience where you know, my children were very anxious about returning to the classroom because they had started to almost um, just become so familiar with live lessons. But actually, what does that look like when you're going back to face to face? There's lots here around rebuilding those children's self-confidence and self-efficacy. Um, so, yeah, a number of reasons why this slide resonated. But I do think the way that the words were crafted together really sparks and inspires further thinking when we consider the words meaningful engagement. Thank you so much, Vicky. I think you've really scoped engagement there for us. And I, I love the link that you make to inclusion, because whilst inclusion is a societal concept that heavily influences education, what is the methodology by which we learn inclusively? And I think engagement is the answer there. And you've just given a powerful demonstration of that in your words. Thank you so much. I'm going to move it on now to our next contributor, who is Ali Erskine, who is one of the head of schools from uh, Whitfield Aspen School, um, a primary inclusive school down in Dover in Kent. Um, hello, Ali. Hello, Barry. Nice to see you. And you too. <laughs> um, when I had the joy of listening to the presentation on Sunday, um, it just was, it made it very difficult to choose a particular slide because all of it seemed so totally relevant to the conversations that uh, myself and my colleagues at Whitfield Aspen School have been having. Um, and, but in the end, I, I was drawn towards the continuum of vulnerability, talking about those children um, who are our vulnerable learners, our vulnerable children within the school. Um, and on the slide that came with that, that was about looking at the three Ds, disadvantage, deprivation and disability, and how those three together really do um, in, you know, create some very vulnerable and fragile learners. Um, and, and sort of in the pre-empting of that particular slide, I, I was drawn back to actually just thinking about who our complex learners are within the school. And at the moment, we have many because of the situation uh, that we have been in with um, the sort of the children not accessing school. Our very, very vulnerable children were offered school places. Many of them decided not to take us up on that. Many um, families um, were very difficult to remain in contact with. Um, we are an, our school is an area of, of some deprivation. Um, so it, it sort of has sparked all sorts of different thought processes going on in my mind. Certainly um, preempting the children coming back post uh, lockdown and being very fully aware of the kind of challenges that those children had. We thought we knew probably who most of those children were. And, and we're very lucky in our school because we have a significant number of children with profound severe complex needs being able to access specialist teaching classes 
but we also have um, main, a mainstream classes as well. So we are one totally fully inclusive school. We have 525 children all accessing um, the same sort of expertise within the school, which is which is fantastic, and that's what makes us so lucky. And we we've also been very lucky because we think the language of engagement. We were lucky to be part of the engagement um, project and the sort of the trialing of the engagement um, aspects initially, and um, that brought huge advantages to us as a school in terms of using becoming familiar with that language and being able to identify what that looked like for completely different groups of learners across the school whether you are talking the children with the most profound and severe complex medical needs or whether you were talking about the child in year six mainstream whose classmates were heading off to grammar school or um which we have the grammar school system still where we are um so actually, um, you know, we have a broad spectrum of need within the school. So to focus in on that continuing vulnerability, I think that is where the majority of our conversations have been for those particular children coming back into school. And I would say, honestly, the biggest focus has been on those children in the mainstream classes, because that's where those challenges are sitting. For some of those children coming back in, they haven't been in contact with um, classmates and routines and structures. They have experienced all those losses from the recovery curriculum. Um, and alongside their sort of disadvantage and the deprivations that they have within the home. But also, actually, we thought we knew who those children were. But I think coming back in, perhaps we didn't know who they all were. And that's been really important for us to think about. Um, and I think for those children who are coming back in we need to you know the teachers are very good and the teaching assistants are great at identifying they know the language of engagement they know what they need to do and it's so important that we get it right because if we get it wrong for those children you know we're only adding really to their you know already poor self-esteem but also if we get it wrong for those children we're impacting on the other children within the class often and on the teacher's well-being as well, because the teacher will feel like, you know, they're not succeeding. And for the parents and carers. So actually getting it right is, is it has to be, we have to get it right. And I think using the language of engagement and using the, the lenses of that really um, is really helping us focus in what it is looks like for each individual child. It's not, there's no... Um, set script there's no you know we can use that language and really focus in for the individual children and get it right for them and I think the final thing I want to say is that actually um, we've got to get it right for them but we can't make those children feel any different than they already do so it's not about just getting it right for them in terms of that's what engages them but how does that sit within the whole class so that the child feels fully included in what's happening for them and actually um, you know as many of these things go if we're getting it right for that child we'll probably get it right for others around them too so uh, yes. Thank you Ali thank you I, I love the way there that you quickly rolled the concept of vulnerability which is a, a societal construct at the end of the day into the school situation and for me the absolute key to what you said was that you as a staff team think the language of engagement it isn't always about knowing which tool for engagement, the profile or the um, formative or summative assessment. It's about, in your head, asking that one simple question, how do I engage this child as a learner? 
And you hit that spot on. And how do we do that? By some of your final words, which was about taking the lens of engagement, which will, if, we, if we're turning that lens, we finally get that vulnerable child who is, after all, then a fragile learner into focus. And then you can really do your stuff, which I know you as a school do very powerfully. And as you said, it diminishes then the impact of vulnerability on the child. They are still that learner who is to be celebrated, who can be successful. And I think today of all days, Ali, your words particularly resonated when the new Children's Commissioner, Dame Rachel D'Souza, has actually said, we need to, as a society, redraft the social contract with our children. And I think you've just shown us how we as schools can be participants in the redrafting of that social construct uh, and contract with our children. Because this pandemic, maybe forever, has restructured how childhood might be lived for children. Thank you. So um, I'm moving on then from Ali to a contributor from the uh, secondary sector, which is a fantastic opportunity for us. And I'm going to welcome uh, Gemma Aldred from Baxter College. Good morning, Gemma. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for um, being invited to be involved this morning as well. It's really exciting to get immersed in the situation um, that is of great interest to me. Um, the slide that really resonated with me was this slide here, working towards recovery in learning post-pandemic. And it identifies really clearly some of the uh, behaviours, some of the mannerisms that we're possibly seeing now in the classroom. Um, the key bullet points that it identifies as disruptive, disorientated, disengaged, frail, fragile and fragment fragmented. And as I sat and looked at the slide deck, this one really resonated with me because... It, I really felt uh, on returning to school last week that our children are wearing their vulnerability. Um, they've experienced a highly intense period, um, even in the most nurturing households. Um, this pandemic has fed people's anxieties and humans as social beings, as creatures, um, unfortunately pick up on that. And as a result, that period of change for the teenagers that I teach has, has, has affected them, their normal has been removed. Um, the slide sort of led my chain of thinking to think very much about sort of teenage development and brain development and sort of what was actually happening within the children themselves and how that would um, affect that process of learning. Um, I know in previous work you've cited that no learning happens without engagement. It's not a passive process. But if the normal's been removed for our learners and their social identity and development and norms have been altered, how do they learn? Um, so for me, it was very, very much about revisiting um, what has been a tremendous amount of change for me as a practitioner to delivering online, to delivering one-to-ones, to delivering a class taught at the front in a box wearing a mask. Um, I wanted to cite the children's vulnerability, cite my own personal vulnerability, acknowledge it and sort of build on that to move it forward. Um, young teens' developmental milestones at this stage are very much about building their own identity, building their own interests. And the pandemic has stripped this away. They've spent a lot of time at home um, relying on social media. Their sort of presence has been stripped back, um, divided from friends, divided from what would have been normal teen style activities um, to then come back into school, surrounded by their friends, to participate in something that, as the colleagues have mentioned this morning, is very, very different. Um, 
so no wonder these behaviours will be displayed. Teenagers themselves focus on themselves. They have high expectations and low self-confidence. And I think it's paramount that as practitioner, practitioners, as a learning community, as anyone involved with schools, um, we work to help these teenagers build these bridges to remove some of that vulnerability. And I feel that the engagement um, profiles allow us to do that. It allows us to sort of move and acknowledge children and them being at the heart of their curriculum. It allows us to sort of look at their growth and development from children, adolescents into young people and allows us to move forward. And I think this engagement profile, as well as the recovery curriculum sitting alongside it, gives us a perfect forum to do that. Um, we want to ensure that they feel secure, that they feel safe, and that these behaviours, although present, and we're all experiencing them, can be um, overcome. We've never experienced anything like this before. We want to build on the positive relationships, build on our community, but also be really transparent in what we're delivering and where we're going, but put children at the heart of that. And I think that's been echoed a lot this morning in what other people have said. Um, by using metacognition and giving them the space to sort of rediscover their learning, it's going to be of a huge validity. And although at the moment those features are really there, it's about embracing them now to turn it into something positive to move us forward. Um, can't let this sort of rule align. And the engagement process to me provides us uh, a scaffolding, uh, something to move us forward with and possibly an opportunity to realign and change areas of our curriculum that we might not have cited before as being a problem. Um, but with that focus and with that move into ensuring that learning isn't a passive process and that we are building people, engagement is at the heart of it and there's not really another direction within that. Mm. If they don't engage, you can't learn and, and that's really my bottom line and my thoughts. Thank you so much, Gemma. It was a perfect link that you had there from what Ali had said previously when you said that the students are wearing their vulnerability. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's very true this week. Very true. <laughs> yeah. And that the, the, the pandemic has, has fed anxiety. Um, and, and that therefore, one of the journeys you're on is to give the children back the feelings of security and safety. They should feel safe and secure in their school because if they don't, they won't be an effective learner. And I liked your links too to teenage brain development. And we know the neuroscience that tells us in that age phase, 11 to 15 particularly, there's the most uh, rapid growth in brain development since that first year of life. Um, and if they're feeling insecure, then that brain is not going to be an engaged brain, therefore an engaged learner. I, th I think what You've given me the message for there, actually, and I've really not thought of it in this way before, that engagement is, is a process of hope. I hope so. That when learning <laughs> has been taken away, when as the pandemic took away, didn't it, a lot of learning opportunities that the whole range of children we're talking about today would normally have received. And whilst they have received some support, it's not been like being in school. So that was taken away from them. And I think what you've just told us is actually by going through the process of engagement, you you align it to a process of hope. Yes. Thank you. That was that was wonderful insight. Thank you so much. So um, our final contributor in terms of the the responses to slides 
is Martin McKenna, who is the head teacher of Foxfield School. Good morning, Martin. Good morning, boys. Thank you very much for inviting me on today for this podcast. Um, your podcast was very insightful. Um, and the one slide that really sort of resonated with me was the curriculum is a servant of the child, not its master. I really felt in this current climate, um, this sort of stood out more than any other slides. Um, you know, we have to adapt to meet these people's needs. Um, and I'm sure the rest of the practitioners here, but in my own school, we're on a recovery curriculum. We don't go back to a normal one because COVID has almost stripped us away of what we know, what was our curriculum before. Um, and it is about adopting that curriculum at the point of need for each pupil and bespoken it to them. You know, engagement is key for our curriculum um, and really provides for me the bedrock for students to improve not just their lives, but actually their life outcomes and their life quality going forward. Um, and we really need that meaningful, successful um, engagement to really get deeper into the learning um, and to ask questions like, why, why are we doing that? Um, just to sort of enrich our curriculums as school leaders. And I think really, um, as school leaders, we need to transform a lot of our approaches um, in line with these new engagement skills, obviously it was coming statutory from next year, um, to respond to learners and really personalise their journeys through school. Um, the Rotter Review obviously has, has provided us with a lot of opportunities and off the back of that obviously we have the new skills and I feel that that innovation has sort of let us as school leaders innovate um, so we can provide that meaningful learning, meaningful research um, and really create an inquiry-based learning process within schools. Um, within my own school, um, this year we have really been trying to develop and sort of empower teachers um, to, into that inquiry-based learning um, and support them in risk-taking and developing ideas and really challenging thinking um, and asking the question why at all at all opportunities, not just teachers, but all practitioners within it, including parents, um, because I think parents are a vital key part of the education system and the curriculum that we're providing. Because um, for me, learning, is, as we all will appreciate, is much more than just school. It goes long beyond the, the timescale of school um, and it's into adulthood. And as I said, from cradle to career, how are we in that process and how are we adapting our curriculum to sort of enhance that? And I think more than ever, engagement gives us that look and that insight into pupils' learning um, and helps us focus our strategies going forward to fit in for each pupil so they actually can get an understanding of themselves. I think sometimes in previous curriculums that we've all experienced, Pupils didn't really get a proper understanding of themselves and what their likes and wishes and wants were. And I think now um, we can now provide them with that opportunity and that confidence in their own ability to sort of have the spiky profiles to go off in directions that they would like to, as opposed to being reined in and pushed down a route that is a, a curriculum route that's been standardised as such, as opposed to one that's bespoke for them. Um, I really can't stress enough the importance for me on developing a curriculum with collaboration um, from all practitioners. You know, in my own school, that includes the physio, the OT, parents, everyone around the pupil, and really getting a curriculum that's intrinsically motivated for our pupils, one that we can cherish. Um, and as um, Cheryl has said, that blended pedagogy, uh, that real push in the pupil being involved in their learning. And research has obviously shown um, that this is the best way forward to really intrinsically motivate pupils. Um, 
And when we were doing our own research, we have just redeveloped my, this is my first year as a head teacher in this school. And we've just been looking at redeveloping our curriculum. And we've done a lot of research with parents. Um, and for us in, as an SLD school, parents wanted their pupils to be happy, safe and independent learners. And for us as educators, how do we achieve this? How do we create this for our learners? And we have to come together and parents' responses are essential in that going forward. And one thing that, that really resonates me with obviously creating a curriculum that's a servant of the pupil is to share that script. You know, over the last year, we have really struggled um, as a society in working with parents. Unfortunately, a lot of our parents, their inner circles have closed off. It's almost got tighter and they've got more struggles and more challenges. And for us, it's about working for them through the recovery program, but also sharing that script and really developing the curriculum um, so there's an explicit link between just home and school. So we know why we're doing it, um, as opposed to abstract concepts that might mean nothing to parents or to pupils for that, for that matter. You know, I've, over the lockdown, I've heard a lot of parents saying, I have no idea why we're doing this or that um, in, in many schools. But for us, the whole key communication between ourselves and home was all around that co-construction of a curriculum that served the child and wasn't his master. Um, I think, as I say, um, it's all about creating that flexibility. Our learners learn very, very differently um, and have spiky profiles within my own school, but I know across a, a very different schools. Um, and it's for us to really offer opportunities um, at the heart of learning to, to allow them to go in particular and, and directions, to not have bells to stop them, for example, at 10 o'clock because it's break. Uh, but if they wanted to continue the art session, they're really engaged, let's continue it, let's flow with that session. You know, why be constructed by, oh, at half 10, we do this particular activity. So it's really about creating that flexibility and actually a pace that's bespoke to the pupils. You know, some pupils really struggle with the fast pace, but without allowing them to move at their own pace, we, how are we ever going to really develop that deeper learning? Um, and one thing that Vegeta really touched upon that is something um, I've really developed over the last year is that importance of reflection. Um, and reflection not only on the pupils, but also on our own practice and that of home and how we reflect on all as one core group to really collaborate. And actually, just going on what everyone else had said, about celebrating that. There's small wins, there's small celebrations. You know, let's see this whole story out. Let's see this celebration. Um, and one thing over the last year, we sort of developed a motto in, within school that if the why, why are we doing it is powerful, then the how becomes easy. It really does become easy for us. Um, and for me, curriculum really is a journey um, to be developed and moved. Um, and it's quite flexible in its approach. And for us to have really any impact, it needs to be relevant engagement. And without that engagement, there is no real impact and we can't see it. So that's really why this, this really resonated with me, this slide. Thank you, Martin. I, I really valued the inquisitive uh, element that you, you threaded throughout everything that you said there, that your opening statement about actually engagement allows you to ask the why questions. And you went on to talk about inquiry-based practice and that's absolutely key, um, inquiry-based practice, inquiry-based learning for the pupils. Um, it's, it's the lens, and Ali talked about the lens as well. And you're right, it's, it does give, engagement gives you an inquiry focus, an inquiry lens on what you're doing with the students. And I really like the, um, the parental contribution, which echoes what Vegeta talked about in some of her opening words, and how that, they're, they're, uh, desires for their child within the curriculum led you to that big, the big how questions. Um, 
and all of that thinking about flow and pace uh, absolutely resonates with the lit- with the literature and the research that exists. We know that when a child is deeply engaged, they get that experience of what we what the literature calls flow, and actually that's deeply satisfying to the child as a learner. But actually, the chemical reaction it causes within the child um, feeds feeds the brain, uh, as, as um, Gemma was implying in some of her contribution. It feeds the brain and gives the child that sense of deep self-satisfaction, which has to be about promoting positive mental health, doesn't it? Can you see the interlocking of all of these? And, and we're facing this tsunami of mental health issues as our children return, and the key is in our hands. It's called engaged learning. Thank you all for the most terrific contributions. I think as somebody who's written so much about engagement, I'm sitting here mind-blown by the extent of thinking that I've heard this morning, and I just wish the dear Lord had granted me a second lifetime through which I could explore some of this. But that's not to be, so I'm very glad it's all safely in your hands. Um, Thank you very much, everybody. So, in this last podcast, we have listened to six experienced practitioners, school leaders, national leaders, talking about their response to engagement, their thoughts around engagement, based on the podcast that Bev Coburn and I recorded. We're going to build on their first responses to think about, well, how does this apply to their practice in in the multitude of settings that they represent? And so I bring to close today's recording and invite you to join us for the second part of this podcast. And again, our panel of six will be sharing with you their insights into engagement for learning. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for listening. The homepage for the podcast is www.learningshared.org. Barry Carpenter's webpage is www.barrycarpentereducation.com and you can email us at learningshared at theteachcloud.net or tweet us at underscore learningshared. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and please do get in touch with feedback if you'd like to either suggest a topic for a future episode or if you'd like to be involved in any way. Finally, you're welcome to join the conversation via one of our online communities of practice. We've got groups on Facebook and LinkedIn and details are on the Learning Shared web pages. So for now, thanks again for listening. Stay safe and be well.